The idea for the Pukane exhibition came from my boss, Chris CK, the chief librarian of the Alexander Turnbull Library. And the brief he gave us was pretty wide. He just wanted an exhibition celebrating Māori performance with just two parameters, um, to feature as far as possible only Turnbull and National Library of New Zealand collection items, and to have, um, as well as appealing to our traditional audiences who support us and come to our exhibitions, to have particular appeal to young Māori, aged 15 to 35 is, uh, when they are yeah, visitors. So we put together a curatorial team, so I'm only one of the curators, the other is Vicky Ann Haikul um, and Ariana Tsikau, and we all been, began researching the collections. And when I looked at the collections, what, one thing that struck me as um, quite remarkable in what's come into this library recently uh, were the Māori recordings included in the Viking Seven Seas collection donated by Murdoch Riley from 2002 and the Ode Record Company material donated by Video Pacific Communications um, in 2017. And I'd also heard a couple of presentations by my colleague, Dr Michael Brown, our music curator, uh, about these recordings. And he talked about how they include master tapes which allow researchers to hear a greater range of sound than what was on the LP record or cassette versions. So I thought for this um, presentation I'd give you a chance to hear some of those recordings so you can sort of um, understand what Michael was talking about. And the plan is that these will be part of the soundtrack that people will hear as part of the exhibition. So the first one is from this album, Hayere Mai, released in 1959, and the album features the Hokufitsu Atsu, a, a regional kapahaka group which was formed in Tokomaru Bay in 1939 by Twini Nawai from Pro. So she's one of the performers featured in Pukana. She's in a photo taken by Arns Westra at the opening of the whare Aruhanui ki te tangata at Waifitsu Marae in 1960. Twini was a composer, teacher, shearer and performer who for me illustrates the Māori title for pūkana, te ihi, te wehi, te wana. These are three words used to describe emotions invoked by performance. The late Whirihuya Milroy explained ihi as a kind of vibration that swells up from your core, compelling you to act. Wehi is a connection with atsuatanga, a spiritual or godlike state. And wana is a feeling that rises up within you as a result of an action performed by someone else. These qualities apply to traditional forms of performance, karanga, wero, haka, whaikōrero and waiata, as well as contemporary Māori performance. So, pūkana is about celebrating Māori performance across many different art forms and genres and across time. And going back in time, we're reaching back to some of the earliest Māori stories which feature performance. One way we're doing this is with karitao. Now, I didn't know much about karitao at all when Vicky Ann said to me, what about karitao for, for this exhibition? So in the Māori dictionary, there are two definitions of, of these taonga. The first is as a modifier, to say something is robotic or, or tokenistic, and the main other more common meaning is a noun, and they've been translated as marionettes, puppets, jumping jacks, robots, toy figures, figures carved in human form with arms that move by pulling a string. And this is a photo of two karitao from Te Papa that will be arriving a few days before the exhibition opening. The one on the right, and this picture is from the Oldman Collection, which was sold to the New Zealand government in 1948 and distributed between the Dominion, Auckland, Canterbury and Otago museums. And like just about two lines are known about that karitao, which is quite um, tantalising really. It would be lovely if over time more information was emerged about that one. And when we went to see that karitao, we looked at all the others held by Te Papa, and this included one donated to the Dominion Museum by Alexander Turnbull in 1913. 
And that's the other one on, in the picture. And it also had Ruatahuna inscribed on the back. In, Jim, uh, in 1990, Jim Trowe, a former chief librarian of the Turnbull, mentioned Alexander Turnbull's collection of Māori artefacts in an article in the Turnbull Library Record. And he wrote that Alston Best was active in building Turnbull's collection of Māori artefacts and devised an ingenious scheme whereby Turnbull commissioned Tuhoi craftspeople to create works for the collection. Turnbull's collection of Māori and Pacific artefacts, some 500 items, including greenstone adzes and heitiki carvings and clothing, was donated anonymously to the Dominion Museum in 1913, which all married up with what I'd found out at Te Papa. So Eric McCormick's biography of Turnbull, when I looked at this, it mentioned Elston Best, who was based in Ruatahuna, being recruited by Alexander Turnbull as one of his voluntary agents. Apparently, he first met the ethnologist in May 1899 when the two men devised a novel scheme that would enrich the collections, not with curios, but with artefacts fashioned by Best's Uruera neighbours. Later in the month, Turnbull commissioned a score of articles, each one defined by its Māori name, and paid £10 in advance. And that led me to Turnbull's papers, which contained just one letter to Elston Best. And as we discovered, Turnbull had quite difficult to read writing. But in this paragraph here, he's saying, I'm in receipt of your letter dated 22nd instant with reference to the Māori things I spoke to you about when I had the pleasure of seeing you in Wellington. And I should be very glad if you'll ask the natives to make me the following. And... Um, Look at that, one karitao for 10 shillings. And I think the connection with Turnbull is important because it introduces the idea of donors. And as a reminder, this is the first of two centennial exhibitions celebrating the founding of this library. But back to these karitao. Uh, but just before we get on to the famous story they feature in, I noticed that the karitao made for Turnbull was very similar to one held in the Auckland War Memorial Museum. This was purchased from Elsden Best in 1899. Best wrote about karitao in his books Games and Pastimes of the Māori, where he described them as peculiar toys. When I asked the curators in Auckland if they had any more information about the karitao uh, that the museum had purchased from Best, they sent a copy of their file. The accession card lists the karitao as a toy of olden times. But later research given to the museum by the late Hedini Melbourne from Naitsuhoi was used for a label which told quite a different story. And accurately described as a toy by colonial historians, the karitao appears to have been an important taonga that may have been used in secret rituals by the women folk as well as for the instruction of whakapapa. These puppets were manipulated by holding the handle at the base of the figure with one hand and pulling the flax cords attached to the arms with the other hand. During the performance, the operator sang especially composed songs known as oriori karitao and used a theatrical language unique to these puppets. Each puppet had a special name and they were often carved with moko. Another anecdote told to me concerning the Elston Best karitao at the Auckland Museum is that it was carved for him as a kind of safe passport for safe passage through the Uruweras. When he asked what it was used for, the Tsuhoi didn't want to offend him by saying nothing, but more importantly, they didn't want to give away their mana by explaining the importance of the karitao as the embodiment of an ancestor. So when he said, is this a child's plaything, they politely agreed. So this is useful context for the famous story about performance in karitao. And in this story, which is so old that versions of it exist across the Pacific, so it goes right back to Hawaii. Um, after the tohunga Kai kills Teniro's pet, uh, beloved pet whale, Teniro's wife, Hene Teiwewa, leads a group of apparently 40, in some accounts, female performers to Kai's village so that they can find and catch him. And this has been described as the very first kapahaka. 
Not knowing what Kai looks like, the women are advised to make the villagers laugh so they can identify Kai by his overlapping teeth. The women tell stories using waiata, haka, and karitao, play taonga puoro, and finally perform an erotic dance that makes Kai smile, sealing his fate. <laughs> the Turnbull collections have more detailed accounts of what the women did to make Kai smile. <laughs> One comes from Elsden Best, <laughs> with a translation by Timoti Karitu. So this is um, Timoti's translation. I learned to haka, I learned to explore with my hands. I learned to open wide, not to open wide. I learned to twitch, not to twitch. Pulsating upwards, pulsating downwards. My vagina throbs, my vagina fibrillates, a haven of lingering warmth in order to conceive. Um, <laughs> so that made me smile. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the story of Tenero and Kai illustrates how performance always has a purpose. In this case, the purpose was to identify Kai and enabling um, Tenido's whānau to kill him and restore balance among the different groups. In recent years, there's been a revival of interest in karitao. One of the key figures in this revival has been James Webster, who performed with karitao at the last South Pacific Arts Festival. Carrying on with our research for pukana, another colleague, Dr. Oliver Stead, our curator of drawings, paintings and prints, showed us a drawing thought to be the earliest representation of a Māori in the Turnbull Library collections. William Wade Ellis made a drawing of a New Zealand warrior during James Cook's third voyage. This speaks to the moments where Māori and Europeans encountered each other for the first time. The artist's perception is behind the warrior. And as Ariana noted, this is sort of placing us perhaps as part of the mana whenua, or the home side, on whose behalf the man is speaking. That made us think about the Turnbull Library collections, where accounts and images of Māori performance as recorded by Māori are much less common than those recorded by outsiders, which often reflect their perceptions of Māori performance. But these same collections can still illuminate Māori perspectives of performance if we think about them in a different way. So we're asking visitors to this Pukana exhibition to think about what it might have been like for the performers and their audiences to be in that moment. And we've drawn inspiration from the filmmaker uh, and writer Barry Barclay, who contrasted images of Māori captured from a distance or at a remove with those filmed from a Māori perspective, taken by what he called a Māori camera, a camera in Māori hands. Similarly, we're asking visitors to consider how Māori might view performance from within Te Ao Māori, the Māori world. Tragically, an event which happened in the lead up to the exhibition gave us another chance to put this idea into practice. So looking at the haka following the Christchurch terrorist attacks, we came across a photo and we purchased a copy from Associated Press. And when we talked about how to include this change in how haka was seen in the exhibition, Ariana suggested that rather than talking about the haka as the BBC and other media did, as we know, for example, what started as a tribal war dance has become a celebration of community and strength, we should actually try and see it from the student's perspective. Ariana found a quote from one student, Georgia, Georgia Horiana Myers Mehana, who said that whenever I haka, I feel like I am from the tribe, standing with them, and that all their spirits are with us. To us, it doesn't feel like we're just shouting words. And then Ariana found the two students in the photo via their mothers. Nakisha Kingi and Azaria Thompson um, from Christchurch Girls in Burnside High. So this image is part of a section in the exhibition about performance and grief. But we're also looking at haka in other contexts as well. And um, 
uh, part of an exhibition titled um, Nā Mahi Atane Rore Rawako Hineruhi, named after two gods associated with movement. And the English uh, title for this section, Rhythm and Movement, is beautifully captured in this image, which Vicky Ann spotted, and it's been attributed to the photographer Joseph Zachariah uh, of a group of women performing with Poi about 1910. And we don't know where this is. Um, Joan McCracken doubts that this is a Zach photo because Zach was very known for his photos of Wellington. But in the book about Zach by Bill Main, it says he made one trip to um, Monganui to, uh, to photograph Māori, actually. So we are wondering if this is like the Tararua's, the Ruahine's, you know, on the way up. So that might be nice if we could solve that little mystery while, while Pukana's on. So from there, Pukana moves from performance in the Māori world to examples of how it's been taken further afield. One example of this is the groundbreaking production of Porgy and Bess, mounted by the New Zealand Opera Company in 1965 with a black American and Māori cast. This was the first time the Gershwin estate had allowed the opera to be sung by people other than black Americans. The cast included celebrated bass singer Inia Tewiata, who was brought back from London to do the show. It was the most expensive and highly attended production then staged by the company, which had travelled round New Zealand to audition around 300 Māori for the cast and chorus members. And then after a New Zealand tour, um, which went all over the place in New Zealand, the production then went to Australia, and it was the first ever Australian production. But as Vicky Ann told us when we did our research, Porgy and Bess was groundbreaking because of the impact it had on Māori performance and the careers of Māori performers. It led to the Māori Theatre Trust, which played a major role in the emergence of Māori theatre. It strengthened the capacity of Māori artists and performers to tell Māori stories. So just looking at this picture, this is one of um, an amazing collection of um, photos of the dress rehearsal at the State Opera House. So there's Enia Tewiata who, according to his widow, widow Beryl Tewieta, was determined that people should recognise Māori could do more than perform in concert parties. Then over here is a woman called Hana Tatana, whose married name is Stappard. And um, this is her here, photographed by Anne Swestra. She was a contralto singer, and she's described Porgy and Bess as a launching pad for Māori into New Zealand theatre, which she saw as encompassing opera, stage theatre and repertory work. Uh, Hana Tatana is known as a singer, but also performed in radio plays, including Awatea by Bruce Mason, which was actually written specially for Enia Tewiata and recorded uh, while he was in New Zealand. And like Dame Kitty Takanua, Hana Tatana trained with the famous teacher Sister Mary Leo and was also placed in some of the same singing competitions. So actually, I need to acknowledge Peter Ireland. Um, very early on when I was trying to work out how my way around uh, through this exhibition, he said to me, well, Paul, can't everybody can remember moments when they saw or experienced Māori performance and how that made them feel. And that was a great kind of starting point for thinking through this exhibition. And you'll see that's actually the English subtitle of the exhibition, along with Dihi, Tewehi, Tewana and Māori. You'll have noticed images from Ans Westra throughout this presentation. These and many others will be on show in a special section in Pukana honouring the work of Ans, whose photographs and ideas have been an inspiration for this exhibition. And when we told her about what we were wanting to do and to request permission to use her images, she emailed back uh, with this lovely email and the last sentence was this. She said, I would love to see this exhibition dance, make people smile. I feel that we need that just now. All that talent amongst Māori. Let's celebrate. And that's it. Any questions? 
with the puppets, the character, I think, um, did they use the legs at all? The ones you showed, the legs were fixed in. Um, when um, Maturiki, who's here, and her colleagues showed us the ones at Te Papa, um, they're all like that, except for one that has a moustache. I think it's supposed to maybe be a, a, a karetao based on an image of a Pākehā. And that's one where the legs are, are jointed, but the arms are fixed. And it kind of looks a little bit more like a marionette. There's a woman called Rose Beecham, who's a puppeteer, who um, knows a lot about this and the sort of connections between karetao and, and other puppets. But yeah, most of them, they're sort of jointed one way, either that way or that way. Uh, it's just the arms. But when you see, there's a video that we're going to have as part of the um, exhibition, a couple of videos of James Webster, and he ex explains how, how they worked. They, they actually used gravity. So they, because they, that's what I couldn't figure out when we went to look at them. The strings only sort of work one way, but you can actually use gravity as well to get movement. So, um, and uh, uh, James has offered to come here and demonstrate the koretao. Uh, he lives in the Coromandel, so we're hoping that that might be possible as well. And also, so the, the opening's on 16th, as Neil was saying, and everybody's welcome to come along to that. Um, and then on the 18th of October, someone you saw in that clip, the people my age and older will remember, um, Tina Cross, um, is coming to be with us with Carl Doy. And 40 years ago that day, she won the Pacific Song Contest in Christchurch with the song, the most earwiggy song of ever, Nothing But Dreams. Nothing but imagination. But, um, so they're both going to perform it here with the National Library's Grand Piano, which is coming back for the occasion as well. So that's a free public event as well. So keep an eye out for that. She's threatened to do a reggae version of it, which I can't quite imagine what they'll be like. But she said she's always wanted to do a reggae version of Nothing But Dreams. So that'll be interesting. And Carl Doy did the arrangements for Dame Kitty Takanawa's Māori music. And Dame Kitty has started depositing her um, arrangements with us. So Carl has that other connection with Turnbull as well.